John chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 1 through 16. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We've been talking about over the past few weeks how John is writing this gospel to demonstrate who Jesus is. And in demonstrating who Jesus is, he captures this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And in this discussion, Jesus is going to explain his mission. He's going to explain his motivation. He's going to explain why all this is important. We're going to learn the gospel from this. And he tells us, through this, how to be saved. In this passage, Jesus tells us, point blank, that we need to be born again. And we're going to talk about this morning, what it means to be born again. The second thing that Jesus tells us is that we are led by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a function in our salvation, and the Holy Spirit has a role in our lives and leads us. And then Jesus is going to tell us about our redemption and our salvation. So the first thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus here, who comes to Jesus and begins to tell him, you know, we know you come from God because you couldn't do these miracles except God were with you. Jesus says, hold it right there. Let's get to the point here quickly. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. And from that we learn that we must be born again if you have not been born again already. Don't get confused on me. If you've already been born again, you've been born again. But if you haven't been born again, you need to be born again. That's the first thing that Jesus addresses with Nicodemus. So we learn from this that we must be born again. In verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is a pretty important guy. He is a ruler of the Jews. That means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Members of the Sanhedrin were religious leaders. These are not necessarily political leaders. 
This is not a U.S. congressman that is visiting Jesus, although he does have in his day what would have been the equivalent of the influence of the U.S. congressman. But you got him to the Sanhedrin court through religious influence, through religious politics, through religious respect, and through religious knowledge. The, the members of the Sanhedrin were religious leaders. They were scribes. They were priests. They were rabbis. These are men with theological degrees. They're teachers. They're thinkers. These are men that the people in that day respected. Maybe they didn't want to respect them, but they had to show them respect. This is a guy who has a name. This is a guy, this is a guy who has some notoriety about him. This, this Nicodemus that came to Jesus, Jesus asked him, Are you the teacher of the Jews? Or in the King James Version, Art thou a master of Israel? Okay, I mean, this is a guy who's high up. People know his name. He is a very influential member of the Sanhedrin. So he's not a freshman congressman. He's a committee chairman. I mean, this is, a, this is an important guy that comes to Jesus. And the Bible tells us, that he came to Jesus by night. In verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. There's a couple of key things to notice here. First of all, this Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus. He didn't send a messenger to Jesus. That happens later on in the Bible where the Pharisees send messengers to Jesus. He didn't, he didn't summon Jesus. That's what Pharisees like to do. Pharisees like Nicodemus didn't go to people. They summoned people. I want, to, I want to meet with you. Come to my house on this day at this time. I have questions for you. Questions have arisen concerning your ministry. Please be at my house Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock so you can give an account of your teaching. That's what, that's what Pharisees did. They summoned people. Nicodemus didn't summon Jesus. Nicodemus goes to Jesus, but Nicodemus also cares about what the other Pharisees think about him. So he goes to Jesus by night. There is something about the sun going down that gives us that feeling that there's some secrecy to the things that we do. And we do things at night that we wouldn't normally do during the daytime because we feel like there's that cover of darkness. Nicodemus is going to, that's why I always had to work in the convenience store at the truck stop. The customers got a lot more crazy at night. The Pharisees would have something to say if they thought that Nicodemus was becoming a disciple of Jesus. So Nicodemus goes under the cover of darkness to meet with Jesus. It's, there's some secrecy to this. So all of this is to be taken into consideration. But let's give some credit to Nicodemus. He's going there not to accuse Jesus. He's going there not to try to score a political victory over Jesus. He wants to know what's going on here. In verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus was not the Messiah the Pharisees were looking for. They were looking for a conquering military leader that would come in and run off the Romans and sit a king on the throne in Jerusalem. And Jesus doesn't look like this military leader. He doesn't, he's not talking like he's going to mount a rebellion against Rome. And so this is not exactly what they were expecting in a Messiah. Through years of cherry-picking verses from the Old Testament and interpreting them in light of their desires and their current lifestyle, the Pharisees and all the religious leaders of that day had a warped view of who the Christ would be. And I think we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to cherry-pick verses out of Scripture to, uh, to 
interpret Scripture in light of our current culture, our current lifestyle, and even our desires, and we come up with a warped view of, and I say warped, that just means a distorted view. It just means an inaccurate view. We come up with an inaccurate view of who God is and of who Jesus is. And we wind up creating a God in our minds that agrees with us, that backs us up, that's always on our side. There is a, sign, there's a, a line in a song that I used to listen to back in my high school days where they sit up, they sit up outside and argue all night long about a God they've never seen but always seems to side with me. You know, we have a tendency to create God in our own image. And that's what these Pharisees had done. Jesus appeared just as the Old Testament predicted he would appear. He came just as the Old Testament foretold. He was born just as the Old Testament said he would be born. He was the man the Old Testament said he would be. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies but he didn't quite match up with what these Pharisees were expecting. But Nicodemus was wise enough to recognize that Jesus is fulfilling scripture. Jesus is doing these signs. He's doing these wonders. There are things that Jesus is doing that the devil cannot counterfeit. There are things that Jesus is doing that the false prophets cannot fake. There are things that Jesus is doing that you have to be a man come from God in order to do these things. And so Nicodemus is wise enough to recognize this, and he is wise enough to go meet with Jesus to reconcile the truth with his, with his theology. This Jesus doesn't match up with who I think the Messiah should be, but he's obviously come from God. I've got to settle this thing out. And Nicodemus goes to Jesus. This is one of the rare occasions you read in Scripture where a Pharisee goes to Jesus to honestly find the truth. And from this meeting, we find a transformed Nicodemus. We find a Nicodemus who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't leave the Sanhedrin. He doesn't follow Jesus on the road. But we find that it's Nicodemus that wants to put the... That we find that it's Nicodemus... And we find, I can't remember the other gentleman's name, but Nicodemus is involved in the burial of Jesus when, when Jesus is crucified. So Nicodemus is in the picture. We just don't see him throughout the rest of the, the, the Bible. Y'all ever wonder how Jesus got money? I mean, really, where did his money come from? I mean, he, he left his job when he started his ministry. None of the disciples were making money. You don't see them setting up a roadside stand. You don't see Jesus begging. Where did he get his money? He was financed through some of his believers that were well off financially. And I cannot pull a Bible verse. It might be in there. I don't think it is. But I cannot pull a Bible verse that says that Nicodemus wrote Jesus a check. But Nicodemus being there for the burial of Jesus, you find that he, along with some other members, some other followers that Jesus had, some of the believers that Jesus had, they financed his ministry. You had to have money to travel back then, too. Mm -hmm. Now, you didn't have to have as much because you're walking and you're sleeping out on the ground, but you still had to have what, you still had to have money. You had to pay taxes. There were customs. There were tributes. You had to buy food because you're not farming your food and you're not hunting. Where'd they get the money for this? And so you see, Nicodemus winds up being transformed by this conversation. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, okay, we know, and notice that word, we, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they know there's something to Jesus. The Sanhedrin is going to line up against Jesus and wind up fighting God himself. But Nicodemus is going to say, I, I, I want to know what's going on here. I want the truth. Mm -hmm. 
And so Nicodemus starts saying, hey, we know that no man can do the things that you're doing except God be with him. And we're about to have a theological discussion. And, and Jesus can spend all night talking theology with anybody, but he's going to cut this thing short and he's going to get down to the point. And Jesus stops and goes, hold on, hold on. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless one is born again. That's some pretty interesting, uh, some pretty interesting verbiage, isn't it? Yeah. Unless one is born again. Unless one is born again. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? We, know, we need to know what born means. Birth brings forth a new creature. Birth brings forth a new creation. Birth does not bring forth an addition to the existing person. When a woman gives birth, she doesn't grow an extra arm. She brings forth a baby, a new human being. Birth does not bring forth a reformed person, a person who has turned over a new leaf, a changed life. Birth will change your life. But birth brings forth, but like when Jessica gave birth to our children, that, that what was happening was a new person is being brought into this world. Jessica was not, the birth was not about Jessica, it was about the new baby. You see what I'm saying? It's about the new person. Birth brings forth new life. Jesus just told Nicodemus that he was going to have to be born again. He was going to have to be a new person. He was going to have to be a new creation. See, what Nicodemus is doing is he is bringing his old beliefs with him to Jesus. I have these theological degrees. I have a doctorate in divinity. I have a master's in theology. I've got a bachelor's degree from Liberty University. I have an associate's degree from Kilgore College. I have a high school diploma from Jacksonville High School. And I have written theses. I have written papers. I have a book out, Jesus. Maybe you've read it. Okay? I mean, he's got all this background. And he's bringing this to Jesus because he wants to figure out what he was right about, what he's wrong about. He wants to harmonize his religion, his understanding, his past and his background with Jesus and Jesus is cutting him off at the past and he's saying that's not how this works you got to shed all the old stuff and become the new man you must be born again Nicodemus would not be able to mix Jesus into his current theology and it would not be sufficient to simply make Jesus a part of who he was Nicodemus would have to turn away from all of it to trust Jesus and to be transformed, to become a totally new person, totally new outlook, totally new belief, new thinking, new life, new person. That's what it means to be born again. Now, later on, we're going to read where, you know, Jesus said that which is born of water is water, and that which is born of spirit is spirit, or you have to be born of water and the spirit, and that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And we get caught up on what does it mean to be born of water. We're making this too complicated. The Bible was not written for doctrines of divinity. The Bible was written for the common man. John is not writing these words so he can impress a seminary president in Kentucky. He's writing these words so that you and I can see who Jesus is. 
Birth brings forth a totally new person. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a member of the Sanhedrin. You've grown up in this system of teaching. You've grown up in this lifestyle. You've grown up among these traditions. And you're going to have to learn to set those aside, to shed those preconceived notions, to shed those old desires, to switch your allegiance from the country and from the nation and from the political party and to line that allegiance up with Jesus. You're going to have to be a new person. You're going to have to be transformed. Or as the way he said it in John chapter 3, you must be born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We, we have a tendency to quit reading there. Let's, let's keep reading. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old Leland has passed away. Had to shed old Leland. Old Leland had some weird ideas. Old Leland made some weird decisions. Old Leland had a very messed up idea of ethics and morality. Leland could not be saved by trying to fit Jesus into all of that and get Jesus to validate that and to make Jesus just a part of my total character. I had to be reborn to where everything was centered around Jesus and where he defined who I am. Being born again is how we reference your repentance of sin and your faith in Jesus Christ. That moment of salvation where it clicks and you're turning from the old life and you are turning to Jesus. That's what we refer to as the new birth, being born again. Then, And I have seen this in so many places. I have seen so many people born again that they are totally transformed by that salvation experience. There was a man who owned nightclubs and bars in North Dallas in a place called Deep Ellum. That's not a good place. It's kind of an arts district now. It's kind of transformed. But this guy owning those nightclubs and bars came to know Jesus as his Savior, and he was born again. And he took those nightclubs and those bars. He turned one into a soup kitchen for the homeless. He turned another into a concert venue for Christian music. And so in this in this nightclub district where you have one of the more iconic biker bars in North Texas where you have sin openly walking on the street, you have a place you can walk into and hear the gospel. Amen. And that was back in the 1980s. All of that's passed on and, you know, it's like an army of steamrollers that, you know, steamrolls it and then comes back in and remakes it. I mean, Dallas changes its identity every 15 minutes, it seems. But there... For a period in the 1990s, if you were hungry, you could go into the prophet, spelled like the prophets of the Old Testament. You could go into the prophet, and they would serve you whatever they were cooking that night, free, and you're getting the gospel. You could walk into the theater gallery, and there were paintings on the walls, gallery, and there was a stage, theater, and there would be a band, take the stage, and usually it was a Christian band. I don't know if you've ever heard of a group called the Resurrection Band. I got to see them perform there. There was a group called Transcendence. They were a Christian uh, rock band. Y'all probably never heard of them because they never hit the big time. There was a group in the 80s called White Cross. Jeff Moore in the distance. I saw all of them play there. My mom was involved in that ministry somehow. How did that all come about? 
it came about because this man realized when he was born again that he couldn't go on partaking and participating in the sinful atmosphere that was deep Ellum. And as he continued his transformation, he realized that being a bar owner of any kind was not going to fulfill what God wanted in his life. And so he, he moved on. But he became a new person. You have to become a new person. And in a new birth, you become a new person. You still have the old temptations, but you have a new reaction to the old temptations. And even if you fail and you fall into those temptations, because sometimes those old temptations pop up and you partake in the old temptations. You're like, well, you know, I'm a new person, but I had the, the temptation to do this thing that I used to do before I was saved and I did it. Like, yeah, but you have, even when you fall into it, you have, even when you sin, you have a new reaction to that. Amen. Suddenly it didn't make you happy. Suddenly it didn't fulfill you. Suddenly there's, there's a spiritual force there tugging at you saying, that's not who you are anymore. Old location, you may, just, just because you're born again doesn't mean you suddenly don't live in deep ellum. But you have a new worldview about it. Just because you're born again doesn't mean that your circle of friends magically changes. Doesn't mean that your family changes, but your worldview changes. Old dynamics, things going on in your life, your work situation, your social situation, your financial situation may still be going on, but you have a new heart about it. Same conflicts, a new heart about the people you're in conflict with. That's born again. That's being made into a new person. And Jesus says this is what you need to do. Unless you're born again, unless you're transformed, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You will not enter into the kingdom. We have to be transformed. And so the question this morning is, have you been born again? Have you ever been made a new person? Has Christ made you into a new person? Because, I mean, I heard this in high school with some of my Christian friends, because I wasn't a Christian. Uh, well, I'm, I, I believe in Jesus, but that's not all, that's not all I am. Uh, wrong answer. Now, I understand 16-year-olds have misconceptions, and we're all learning and growing. But, no, you believe in Jesus. You're a Christian. That is who you are. You're not a football player who believes in Christ. You're a Christian who plays football. Amen. You are not a musician who believes in Jesus. You are a child of God who plays music. But that Christian, that identity in Christ, that's who you are. Yes. And if you have been born again, you have been born to be that person. Amen. Secondly, we are led by the Spirit. Nicodemus asked how a man could be born a second time. You must be born again. How can I do that? Am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb a second time and come back out? And Jesus goes, okay, man, you know better than that. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Yes. The second birth is a spiritual birth. You're being born of spirit. Yes. In verse 8, Jesus explains it. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is it's the Spirit that guides you. It's the Spirit that leads you. And when you're born of the Spirit, when you're born again, you recognize that leading. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You don't know everything that God's doing, but you know God's doing something. Amen. It's the Spirit that guides you to repentance. 
It's the spirit that cultivates your faith. It's the spirit that draws you to salvation. And it's the spirit that leads the believer by speaking to his heart and placing things there. We believe in the Holy Spirit. People tell us Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. No, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We don't believe necessarily the Holy Spirit puts on performances for the pleasure of individuals who are coming to have a good time. But we believe in the Spirit. Amen. And the Spirit leads us, and the Spirit guides us, and the Spirit transforms us, and the Spirit yes. teaches us. Everything that happens from your salvation, from your coming under conviction, from your realization that you are a sinner, to the point that you repent of that sin, you trust Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, that was all spiritual leadership happening in your life. And from that moment on, when you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, and you start to experience that transformation, you start realizing what I need to be doing for the Lord, how I can serve the Lord, things that need to change around my house so I can honor God, so I can teach my children better, uh, so I can lead my family better, so I can follow my family better. If you're a child or you're under the leadership of a spiritual leader in your household, uh, how, how can I honor and glorify God more? And as you start to understand how to do these things, that's spiritual leadership happening within you. The Spirit plays a vital role in our lives. Amen. So much of who we are today is because God worked through the Spirit in our lives. Yes. And finally, so, so Nicodemus asks, how can this be happening? How does this work? That's the explanation Jesus gives. The Holy Spirit works and leads. And then Jesus begins to tell us about our redemption and our salvation. Nicodemus asks how all this could be possible. The new birth, being transformed, being made into a new person, being led by the Spirit. He says, how can these things be? That's verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? How can these things work? And Jesus answered him by giving him the gospel. Amen. He says... He says, are you a teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things? Like, come on, man. You took Bible class. You've got a degree, remember? That doctorate of divinity. How do you not understand this? And so Jesus starts to explain it to him. He says, you know, because we're talking about spiritual things, we're talking about earthly things. Let me tell you, what, let me boil it down to something I know you can understand. And in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now here Jesus is referencing a story from Numbers chapter 21. This is a story that Nicodemus was very familiar with. This is an account that in the wilderness, the people of Israel following Moses through the wilderness, God has been caring for them in the wilderness but they have run short on supplies, they've run short on water, and the people are starting to grumble. The Bible says murmur. Murmuring is a bad thing, okay? Right. You don't want to be a murmurer. <laughs> they begin to murmur. And, and now, murmuring is not just, it's hot, we're low on water, there's not enough money in the bank. Murmuring is when you start to place blame for these things. Why does God give us 90 days of 110 degree weather every summer? That's murmuring. How oh, it's so hot outside. Not murmuring. Whining, but not murmuring. But when you're complaining about what God's doing, that's murmuring. And that's what was going on with the nation of Israel in Numbers chapter 21. And so God sent them what the Old Testament, what the King James Version referred to as fiery serpents. These are poisonous snakes. 
He gave them some cobras. He gave them some diamondbacks. He, he gave them some, uh, well, no, they have to have water for the water moccasins. Maybe some cottonmouths. I don't know. He gives them poisonous snakes. They infest the camp. That, is that not freaky? I mean, that, 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 freaks me, that freaks me out, okay? My kids caught a corn snake. They wanted to keep the corn snake. I told them they couldn't keep the corn snake. Why not? Because I don't want snakes loose in the house. No, we have a container for it. I'm like, I don't think you can keep it in the container. A couple of weeks later, they catch a toad. They've let the corn snake go by this point. They catch a toad. Put the toad in a container. Toad escapes the container. I told them, this is why you can't have a snake, okay? And so... Um, yeah, snakes loose in the house freaked me out. Y'all know who J.J. Watt is? He was on Twitter this week. Okay, Arizonans, I'm, I'm new to the area. I've got a baby rattler in my uh, bathroom. What do I do about this? <laughs> and I start, you know, giving them tips on how to catch it. And I'm sitting there saying, you got a baby rattlesnake in your bathroom. I'm concerned about where the mama is. <laughs> and mamas don't give birth to one baby. There are no single-child rattlesnake families. There's some siblings, so yeah, you got some bigger issues, dude. Um, maybe Phoenix shouldn't have named their baseball team the Diamondbacks, okay? But it is true to what lives there. Anyway, so God sends fiery serpents into the camp, and they're biting people, and people are dying. And Moses prays to the Lord, he's like, Lord, what are we going to do here? What do you want us to do? And so God tells Moses to make a snake a serpent out of brass, place it on a pole, put that pole on in the middle of the camp, place it high up where everybody can see it. And if someone gets bit by a poisonous snake, a viper, they can look at that serpent and they'll be healed of the death blow that they have sustained. And the lesson is that sin brings death, but trusting the Lord and looking to his forgiveness and his healing is what's going to save you. That's right. And so Jesus tells this story, recounts this, well, references this story to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just as that serpent was lifted up on that pole, Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. And those who look to him for forgiveness and salvation will be saved and have eternal life. Jesus is explaining the gospel to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is asking about the new birth. How can that happen? How can you be transformed? How can you be led by the Spirit? And Jesus says, it's all going to happen because I'm going to give my life on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, to heal mankind of the death that sin brings. Whoever looks upon the Son of Man on that cross and that look upon means to look to, to trust, to depend on, to, to find salvation and healing there. Whoever looks upon him, whoever believes in him, may have eternal life. Mm -hmm. Verse 16. Y'all ever notice that first word of verse 16, for? That's why that word for is there. Mm -hmm. Because, what's the motivation here? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel, our transformation, our second birth, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, all motivated by God's love for us. This desire is for us to live with him for eternity, for us to be rescued from this evil world that we are in, 
and to be in a place where life is good, free of anxiety, free of strife, free of strain, we can live in God's presence there with our Lord forever. And he did that because he loves us. But Jesus said, you're not going to see the kingdom if you have not been born again. Now think about it. He didn't say you won't enter, and, and you won't, but you won't see it. You don't even get to pass through on the train. <clears throat> You'll never see the kingdom if you're not born again. That's right. So the question this morning is, have you been born again? Have you shed that old life? Have you shed those old desires, those old understandings, that those old self-righteousnesses and allowed yourself to be transformed Amen. by the Lord. Without that, there is no salvation. Right. Let us stand.